Hey guys, good to be live again. I'm going to zone in on free speech when it comes to being online. We've seen online free speech limited like never before since the pandemic began. Uh, Progress continues in the legal uh, side of this as far as the people fighting for your right to uh, speak freely on a lot of current event issues, um, no matter what platform you're on. Uh, now, a lot of people misunderstand uh, what Section 230 is. Uh, Section 230 of the Communications Decency Act of 1996 uh, protected websites uh, from lawsuits when it comes to them uh, becoming an interactive website. So as soon as you co- become a website that allows others to post on your website, you need protection legally so that you can post whatever you want without, um, I'm going to, I'm getting comments. Okay. Uh, stop with the weird comments guys. Okay. So you need to be able to, uh, put, you need to allow your users to post whatever they want without you getting sued if you're if you're an interactive website, whether you're a blog that has a comment section or whether you're Facebook. So the idea for for Section 230 was originally to protect free speech to give the host website immunity to people who are uh, commenting. So that way, comments can be free, and and only the commenter who breaks the law is the one who sees legal repercussions, not the host website that has to that, that comment. So initially it was like, oh, that's great for free speech. Um, but now uh, we're seeing those websites actually censor like never before. And uh, Jason Fick is going to join me Um He is from the Social Media Freedom Foundation. Um, He is working on a major lawsuit, actually suing the government um, in regards to this saying, um, this this is not settled law. Section 230 is not settled law. And a recent case actually backs that up, he says. I'm looking forward to hearing about this and his progress in liberating your ability to post what you want on Facebook. Before I get to that, got to shout out the sponsor of my coverage, which is Ageless Glow Skin Rejuvenating Serum. Within no time, this product helped reduce the appearance of fine lines, returned my skin's elasticity, and gave my skin a more youthful glow. My skin is much more vibrant now and is tighter, firmer, and smoother. I highly recommend Glow with Ivory. Get it today for up to 38% off for a limited time by going to my link down below, glowwithivory.com. Click that link down below. With that being said, I'm going to bring up Jason Fick to discuss free speech online. Hi, Jason. How are you? I'm well, Ivory. How are you? Doing well. Uh, So you said there's no legal standing, actually, for Section 230. Uh, that's, That's what your website says right here. Okay, let uh, me let not, me clarify it's not that a little bit. Law. It's not. It is not settled law. Okay, so um, explain that. There are a lot of misconceptions, and actually, even how you introduced it, I, I need to unpack a lot of things. There are a lot of misconceptions that are floating around the internet. That, for example, the first one that, that you sort of mentioned is is that Section two hundred and thirty is a protection for the First Amendment. It's not. It has nothing to do with protecting the First Amendment. The First Amendment is insured by the Constitution. People say, well, it protects them for, from taking other people's information down. Right. It, it's an infringement of the third party's First Amendment rights. 
it only granted a liability protection to companies like Facebook, Google, Twitter, etc. Now, <clears throat> there was there's two aspects of Section 230 that are very, very distinct, and they are actually misinterpreted by the courts, and they have been for years and years and years. And I won't go into the nitty gritty of it because no, just to give you an idea of, of our background, I have been in. Uh, in a lawsuit with Facebook since 2018, we went all the way to the Supreme Court. The the uh, California courts dismissed my case wrongly under the wrong subsection of Section 230, and then the Supreme Court didn't hear our case. Although they did say, and actually Justice Clarence Thomas said, that they would welcome an appropriate case. Unfortunately, they didn't hear our case. Now, that led us to a different path, which is to go after the whole thing. Now, now we're actually calling into question everything. Now, let me clarify. So Section 230, from almost from the very, very beginning, it was actually 1997, a year after it was written, a case called Zoran Zer- uh, versus America Online got it wrong. They turned Section 230C1, which is the first one. This is this is the part of the, the law that says that they can't be treated as the publisher of the content of another, meaning they can't be held accountable for content they didn't had nothing to do with, right? Makes sense. They didn't right, do here it. To, I'm bringing it up here. Here's the actual law, Section 230. So what I've highlighted, this is the this is this is the clause in Section 230 that's supposed to protect free speech and allow free speech to blossom online. Quote: No provider or user of an interactive computer service shall be treated as the publisher or speaker of any information provided by another information content provider. Yes. So the host website can't get blamed for the people who comment. Therefore, by them not getting blamed, this this uh, code removes their incentive to censor their commenters. It, it does in a way, but what this does in its correct application, it allows the proliferation of free speech. It does because it allows the third party. We have to have to separate who's doing what. The first party is interactive computer service provider. The third party is creating and developing the information, right? They're the ones that put the information there. What happened in Zoran was a very simple mistake, but it is a monumentally important mistake. If you reread this carefully, it says that they cannot be treated as the publisher, not as a publisher. They are different. The publisher denotes that it's a pre-existing publisher. Matter of fact, James Madison, one of the founders of the of the Constitution, wrote in the Federalist Papers that the most important word in the right to free speech is the word the, and it's because the denotes it was pre-existing right, so it can't be abridged. Here, if you convert that to a publisher, they can't be treated as anything, even if they are the publisher. And what happened in Zoran is they said, well, if we stick with the policies and purposes of this, well – they can't they can engage in any traditional editorial function and if you notice there's no mat like measure of motive so if you can be a publisher not be treated as the publisher and there's no measure of motive 230c1 effectively in the courts you know what they call as applied has converted 230c1 into sovereignty they can do anything they want that's wrong it is fundamentally wrong 230c1 only applies and we are bringing this to the courts only applies when the website or interactive computer service or whatever it is does not act at all, takes no editorial action. And this, there, there's something called harmonious reading or whole text reading. They're, they're what are called the canons of statutory construction. The only way for 230C1 to make any sense 
is for that to be the actual interpretation because the very next law is a publishing function. It would wipe it out. It would, it would render it useless. So that right there has been one of the misconceptions by the courts that we have to undo. It's, it's not it, that they can't be treated as a publisher at all. It's that they will not be treated as the publisher if they're not the publisher. If they have nothing to do with the content. Makes sense. So if moving on, one of the, the bigger fundamental problems that we have is I'm sure you've heard the argument that it's a matter of private action as opposed to state action. I'm sure you've heard that before. Are they a state actor or are they a private actor? Well, there's another misconception, and that is that you know some cases have fought the state action thing, and they've lost. And the reason they've lost is because they said, well, the government was telling them what to do. They gave them a directive. Well, you know, Jen Psaki or, or mm. even President Trump, implying that they should do something is not a state directive. It's not. However, we can actually pull it apart right in the language. Because, again, the law is the law. It's the letter of the law. It's right there written in front of us. It's just people have confused the order of operation and not applied the sentences correctly. For example, 230C2A, right? Go to C, then you go down and you look at A. So, yeah, the clause below what I highlighted. I think this this is where the major censorship comes in because what I highlighted theoretically should disincentivize Facebook or anyone else from taking down your posts. Correct. But for some reason, all that ratcheted up in the pandemic. And I guess sec- uh, the section below it is kind of the incentive for them to censor. Although we still have to sit there and wonder why they did so much in the pandemic. But just circling real back real quick to your uh, FIC versus Facebook lawsuit you filed mm-hmm. in 2018. Uh, the courts threw that out, citing what I highlighted here, saying, mm-hmm. look, Facebook did not Pub, you know, Facebook itself didn't publish these particular comments, you know. But they did. That's the thing. No, but, well, I'll, you I'll published. Explain. Okay. It, it was my content that mm-hmm. I published. So, therefore, under this, the circumstances of 230C1, I am the publisher. I'm the guy who put it up there. That information was then taken down by Facebook. So, that is a publishing action. They took it down. That should be subject to 230C2A, the next law, but it wasn't. They didn't care about that at all. They took it down. They restricted the information, and they called it otherwise objectionable, so to speak, although they didn't give me any showing of cause. They just took it, and actually what they did was they they, uh, unpublished six of my pages with 14 million fans, wiped my business out They deleted six of your Facebook pages. Good lord. Six six out of 12. I had a a peak. (laughs) I had 38 million fans on Facebook. I was gigantic. Wow. I just never tried to be personally famous. I just ran big pages. Big pages. Okay, so let's look real quick at, at, at C2A, what you're talking right. about here. So theoretically, Facebook's reason for taking down your six pages was C2A, yeah. no provider or user of an interactive computer service shall be held liable on account of any action voluntarily taken in good faith to restrict access to or availability of material that the provider or user considers to be obscene, lewd, lascivious, filthy, excessive, violent, excessively violent, harassing, or otherwise objectionable, whether or not such material is constitutionally protected. And then B, any action taken to enable or make available to information content providers or others the technical means to restrict access to material described in paragraph one. Okay. So- 
so these so in layman's terms, what right. does that mean? <laughs> so in layman's terms, what this means is, so A, the first portion, well, first off, let me back up, 230C, two, right, where it says mm-hmm. civil liability. This is the actual protection. This is the part where they're not to be held liable in the event that they act. So harmoniously, it makes sense now, right? The yeah, first yeah. So is it's like, oh, good, they're helping the government out by deleting uh, excessively violent and harassing content. Correct. So two comes down to what do they do? They're they're civilly liably protected when they act. So this section has to do with their actions. So let's go to what their actions are allowed to be. A is very simple. It's when they act upon content. It says right there that they can take action against objectionable content. Well, that's the lowest burden, right? And B says that they're not actually acting on content. What they're doing is they're making the tools available to a third party to take down content. So that's also why, if you notice at the very end, it says to paragraph one, because it relates back to the inactive protection of 230C1, meaning they didn't do anything. They gave the tools to somebody else to do it. Now, 230C2B is not as often a case because you know it makes logical sense if you, if you give a mother the, the ability to restrict uh information from their child to protect them we're good with that you'd be able to restrict yeah, your no, own nobody disagrees with that the yeah problem- so i mean look the point is basically what we've seen in the pandemic is facebook wiping out uh anything objection anything that disagrees with facebook's political views political not excessively violent, harassing, filthy, all this stuff. Right. Um, so, I mean, is, problem, that, is that where you're trying to get them legally? Is to say, hey, you're not deleting based on these cases. So, the upcoming case that we have. So, just just so everybody knows, and I'll, I'll come back to this real quick. Just so everybody recognizes, today... Uh, by the end of day, we're actually filing a, a second appeal in the Ninth Circuit Court challenging the Good Samaritan provision, which is actually the very top. That applies this to everything. They, they fundamentally have to be a Good Samaritan at the threshold. If they're not, they lose immunity immediately. You don't even have to look at these subsections. That's the first thing that's on the table right now. Then we are going after the constitutionality of this law uh, probably within a month. And I can say that we have congressional help already. Um, because the principles all fall under 230C2A that are unconstitutional. And you'll understand why in a second when we dismantle this thing. Okay. Mm -hmm. So it says, first off, remember the state action versus private action, right? That argument is is, is ill-conceived every which where. It says any action voluntarily taken, right? It's not any action at all. The action still has to be done in good faith, it has to be to restrict access to availability of materials, yada, 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 right? But the question is voluntary action, meaning they have a choice whether to do it. And if they do it, it has to be subject to what's coming next to restrict access to availability of materials that are otherwise objectionable. Or if they don't do it, you loop back to 230C1, they can't be held accountable if they don't do anything, right? It's that simple. The, the choice is a private choice, but the action is not a private choice. The action still has to follow the rest of this subsection. Guess who made that law? That's coming from Congress. 
So if the law says that you have to restrict access to availability of materials that are otherwise objectionable, and I'm just shorting it for the ease sake, and you took the action voluntarily, it means that you voluntarily as a private citizen decided to act upon the behalf of Congress at the directive of Congress in order to get what? Civil liability. Therefore, if they're seeking civil liability, it means that they had to prove that they acted as a good Samaritan under the prerogative of Congress to, in good faith, restrict access to availability of materials that are otherwise objectionable. That's the point. It's a voluntary mandate. It says, hey, look, if you act on our behalf to, to filter out a block and screen offensive materials, we'll give you protection. But you can voluntarily choose to do it or not do it. What you do is not voluntary. So that changes everything. And, and I know a lot of people out there are going to go, oh, you're so nuts. What? No, I actually am not. Because most people, if you want to ask, ask them why there's quotes on Good Samaritan. It's something called – in administrative law, what's in quotes there is what's called a general directive, a general provision, or otherwise known as an intelligible principle. That principle is a directive from Congress laid down to regulatory commissions, whether private or public, and it says, okay, you guys are allowed to fill up the details. You're allowed to make the little laws, right? But that's what community standards are. They have the power of law. Because they can make the law, they can enforce the law, and then they can enforce a penalization. And what happened in my circumstances, they did that. They took my, my business down, and I was never able to get a day in court, not one. Well, when you're that denied of your life, liberty, or property, guess what? You're entitled to due process. So this is pretty confusing how you explain I, I apologize, it. but um, we're trying to unpack 26 years of, of mistakes. Yeah, yeah. Um and and that was in the internet's infancy back back when this law was made in 96. Uh basically you had those pages and no evidence was shown that you had obscene, lewd, filthy, excessively violent, harassing content Correct. yet they wiped you out. Are you Correct. trying are you trying to amend this law to get it to where if Facebook censors you they have to prove that you had that content, which is not protected by the First Amendment? Well, our move with the constitutional case, which is coming in roughly like a month, is to either sever 230C2A as unconstitutional because it is, or revoke the entire law. It would be struck. Here's because the thing. there, are, there like, are elements of it that I are unconstitutional. Mean, there has to be some sort of law like this in place. Um, I would agree that, that 231 should host we, You know, a host website can't be blamed for what the people posting on it are posting. So the host website needs some protection. Otherwise, every single website that allows comments could get sued into oblivion. Well, that's actually kind of the point of 230C1 is if the court applied it correctly, meaning yeah. if the site didn't do anything, they took no action at all, they shouldn't be treated as the publisher. But yeah. they converted that into they can be a publisher themselves and still not be treated as the publisher. And that makes no logical sense. Ah, and there we so go. If we fix that, that, that first has to be fixed. And then 230C2A could be severed because that piece of it is unconstitutional. It's, it's, an, it's what's called a, a – it's unconstitutional under the non-delegation doctrine of the Constitution and major questions doctrine of the Constitution, which just happened in the OSHA case. Um 
there's other ones that are involved, void for vagueness doctrine and what's called the substantial overbreadth doctrine, which so, is, which are all things that it violates. So are you going after, is your lawsuit going after Congress for even passing this or what? Well, my, my personal case is obviously against Facebook and that's what we just appealed on. The next one is going to be what's called a Rule 5.1 constitutional challenge of the law itself, and we're going to be suing the United States government because the, when a law is unconstitutional and denies a citizen of their rights, it must be at least explained. We're, what's called declaratory judgment would at least fix this thing, figure out how it's supposed to work as harmoniously as it can, albeit it can't be, or the opposite is, is that it's struck, that the law goes away as if it never existed, at which point? The entire internet will change, fundamentally change. And whether people like it or not, I mean, this is the way it is. But that's the course, and that's actually why we set up the Social Media Freedom Foundation, um, which we actually we just got our approvals on a 501c3 um, tax-deductible charity. Um, and if people Congrats. would like to see more, they can actually go to socialmediafreedom.org, and there is an executive summary of what the constitutional case is, is about and what it's going to be. Again. I've linked that down below, guys, chock full of information on this. Now, if you're going after our federal government, maybe you can go after them on regards to what Jen Psaki said in July in their partnership with Facebook. <laughs> I'm sure you uh, recall this. I think I have this here. Let's listen to it. In terms of actions, Alex, that uh, we have taken or we're working to take, I should say, from the federal government, uh, we've increased uh, disinformation research and tracking uh, within the Surgeon General's office. We're flagging problematic posts for Facebook uh, that spread disinformation. We're flagging problematic posts for Facebook. Uh, that spread this information. So that's the constitutionally most concerning part of this whole Facebook censorship thing is that Jen Psaki is apparently admitting to partnering with Facebook in the censorship of the citizens of the United States. Well, they said that they're identifying the content as mis misinformation and sending it on. Now, yeah, flagging it for Facebook and then mm -hmm. Facebook, we all know, goes on to censor it. So is our free speech actually being censored by the White House? Well, the, the question there is whether or not that's considered a directive. And that is sort of an arbitrary answer. It, they could, it could be a directive. It could be considered that way. But it's, again, a matter of they could identify it. They could send it to somebody else. And then that interactive computer service provider, meaning Facebook, Google, Twitter, can decide whether to act. That's not a directive. It's 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 struggled to be a directive because it's not a specific directive. Do I agree that it is? Yes, absolutely, fundamentally. And that's why we're taking this from a different angle, which is not to say that the government is outbound directive. That what Jen Psaki just did, we're saying it is internal in the direction of the, the statute itself. It's right there. They say you can voluntarily choose to act under the directive and the prerogative of Congress, and here's how. And it then tells you to restrict access to availability of material. That's, that's a congressional directive came directly from Congress. So, yes, do I agree with you? Is there an influence? I'm sure there is. But at the same token, it's not as specific a directive, and it ha cases like that have actually lost. Because it has to be a very specific directive saying to do this, and then as a result, the site does it.
saying it arbitrarily and saying, hey, you, you can take this down. We'll identify it, but you can take it down. Wink, wink, nod, nod is not well, exactly a directive. Facebook's done a pretty good job of going on to take that content down. Uh, they definitely voluntarily act a lot. But again, like we said, and it's, a, it's actually it's, unclear whether they're voluntarily acting or acting right after the White correct. House told them to. Correct. That right there is, is the part that's disingenuous. You don't know whether or not they're acting on behalf of the government at the directive of government or just coincidentally. But then again, remember, the government can always do stuff to them. So there's always this this incitement to do it. Yeah. Or, hey, you, you don't have to do this, but we will come after you if you don't. Exactly. Duress is the same situation. And what we're, we're trying to basically take that out of the equation and say, nope, the law says it right here. It's right in black and white. It's unconstitutional. Take it down. That's what we're going to go do. Well, uh, I like that. You know, you, you took this, you took your case versus Facebook all the way to the Supreme Court where, where they refused to even hear your case. Unfortunately. So I, I like that you're still pursuing this because I'm sick of the Supreme Court just saying, ooh, we don't feel like hearing that case. We're going to look for a technicality as a reason not to. I mean, we saw that happen with the 2020 election where Americans were desperate for answers, decisions, and Supreme Court in December 2020 said, ooh, we don't feel like hearing case about your election. So anyway, I'm glad that you're kind of putting pressure on to – never quit. I don't quit. I, and, and realistically, keep in mind that this is not a political fight. Our, our constitutional challenge is bipartisan. It, it, it just says that freedom should exist online, period. And I believe that – in this circumstance, we have addressed everything. It is a very comprehensive case, and it has taken us a long time to assemble this. It's been very expensive, and and, and I would encourage people that want to support this, this internal fight. This is the real fight to stop this, to go to socialmediafreedom.org and, and help us because we need to stay in this fight. And I believe that you know, the Supreme Court may actually be compelled to fix this thing finally because there's really nothing more to discuss. I mean we, we've, we've covered virtually everything. And I'm sure that everybody will be very, be impressed when this comes out, or or just hate it because they're they're proponents of uh, you know keeping free speech under wraps. Right, right. Well, good luck in in your lawsuits, and uh, keep us updated. Uh, again, we've got your website with all that information down below. And thank you so much for joining me, Jason Fick. Thank you, Ivory. Nice to meet you. All right, take bye. care.